Educating our community about the impacts of gambling harm, live from Our Lady of Mercy College, Melbourne, Australia, you're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. Live from Our Lady of Mercy College, Harburg in Melbourne, Australia, you're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. My name is Emily and my co-hosts today are Tilly, Emma, Michaela and Alicia. Our special guest today is Fred Rubenstein. Who lived experience from of gambling harm? Um, so, uh, Fred, what gave you the urge to start gambling? I didn't. I like that. Um, uh, I suppose my desire and will to win, and and really wanting uh, stimulation and enjoying i really as a young kid i was really obsessed with games so i think that's why it manifested into gambling as opposed to like drugs or alcohol or anything like that and also my obsession with sport so it just kind of fit like a glove and also being bored from from school not really connecting with the education system so yeah that that was just like a perfect storm and it kept me entertained basically at the start yeah so being obsessed with games when you were younger, did that mean that you grew up in a gambling environment? Yeah, I did. I did actually. Um, my old man was a businessman, a mathematician, and on the weekends he'd, he, he, he punted. He was, he was gambling. So that was like a, a very normalized thing in my household. Mm-hmm. And what was probably made it worse was that it wasn't even looked down upon because he was really smart and a good mathematician and a good businessman. It was like, you know, he can do that, it's fine. And he has control of that. And it just wasn't like that for me. So that was really hard. And I don't think it was a conscious thing like, oh, my old man did it, so I'm going to do it. But I think it's just like, it's it's a natural evolution. You see him do it. You have similar characteristics. Um, You know, you're obsessed with gaming. And it was like a natural evolution from going to young child to teenager to young adult. Yeah. So going along with that, did you win? Any money while you're gambling? Yeah, I had a few. I had a few wins. And early wins is one of the biggest hooks. Like I think the first time I went to the casino, I won. And that just lit my brain up like a Christmas tree. Um, yeah, I had a couple of big wins and many more really big losses. And yeah, the wins can be can be the most dangerous part because it, you can – and I was definitely guilty of this – is – by the fallacy, the lie that you can win from gambling in the long term. And I'm not just talking winning financially. I'm talking winning, you know, emotionally, being stable psychologically, maintaining your physical health, just having a balanced lifestyle. It doesn't exist in being a compulsive gambler. So, yeah, it was – the wins were like just fleeting highs and they were really – addictive but also very hollow as opposed to the wins that I get from doing something like this and connecting with people and doing something respectable so yeah what kind of gambling did you do oh at the start it started with like footy and a-league because that when I was a kid I was obsessed with footy and and then soccer as well and so it started with sport that I knew about and then it became like casino games because I just loved games and card games. And then I just lost control and it became dogs and horses. It became overseas sports. It became 
online casinos. It was just everything by the end. So yeah, I did a bit of everything. Like tab at the start when I was a kid, like 14, 15, because I didn't have access to an account. Then I convinced my mom to open an account. Then I turned 18 and I would go to the casino and then I'd go to online casinos, you know, even on nights out, you know, my mates would be drinking or whatever. And I'd be, you know, at the bar on an online casino because I was just completely obsessed and yeah, lost control um, pretty early on in my young adult years. Mm. Um, what was your physical health when you were at the peak of gambling? Really bad, really bad. Um, I probably finished year 12 around, I always struggled with my weight, but I probably finished year 12 around 88 kilos, which is a good weight for me. And then by the end of 2015, which was my peak year of gambling, I would have been, I was like 125 kilos. So I really stacked it on. I became really depressed and really withdrawn socially, which is really not like me. I'm a very sociable person. Like I love my friends and yeah, I just enjoy interacting with people, but I became so withdrawn and so unhealthy in my habits. And yeah, I guess that's what happens when you're in a really hedonistic lifestyle where you're just constantly about ratifying your impulses and you just, there was just no discipline, you know? And I think that that was something personally that was I lost a little bit of boundaries in my life when I, I lost my old man when I was young, you know, I lost him at 13 and he was the strictest disciplinarian and my mom was the wild free spirit. Like I am, you know, the social creature. So I lost a lot of that. And I think in retrospect, it would have been good to have some of that. And I've had to do some work to rebuild those kind of habits. And it's still hard, but it's much better applying some disciplines around, you know, financial, emotional, because yeah, without it, you just it's like short term gain for long term pain, and yeah, it's not a good it's not a good strategy. Yeah. Um. Did you, out of all your friends, were you the only one who gambled, or did your other friends also gamble as well? They gambled, but I'd say they were social gamblers. So they'd bet you know five, ten, twenty dollars, and then they could walk away either way. They didn't care. Whereas for me, I would just I couldn't walk away. A win or loss didn't matter. I just had to keep going, keep going, until. It was never enough. I had a never enough mentality. It doesn't matter how much I won or lost. It was more and more and more and more and more until I was literally physically and mentally exhausted that I couldn't keep going. Or, you know, I just didn't have access to any more money at that moment because I had to break a term deposit. So I was just completely obsessed. And that's one of the really dangerous things is you can have a group of like 10 guys and eight or nine of them are just social gamblers. They just bet on the weekend or on special events and they're fine and it doesn't affect them and that's fine but there could be one guy who is high risk who doesn't have control of their gambling and they're gonna feel and i felt this like really ashamed because it's like well everyone else is fine you know so they you know i put on a mask and even worse than that i lied and said you know i was winning and you know all this bravado and all these tricks um and that's the really tricky thing is it it affects everyone differently and yeah like it's okay if you're that one guy or that one person who is struggling with that but it's i just think the fundamental thing is 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 just being honest about it like especially with yourself like what's actually happening like you know this isn't working and i'm having trouble here i'm putting your hand up saying i'm not okay it's it's a really hard thing to do and i think the stigma around gambling as opposed to other addictions is the losing, you know, the losing aspect, like being a loser 
and being a degenerate. And, you know, I think that's a really hard thing. That was for me, that was probably the biggest barrier. One of the biggest barriers for me stopping was accepting that I wasn't going to be a winner in this space when all I wanted to do was win. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM, live from Our Lady of Mercy College in Melbourne, Australia. My name is Emily and my co-hosts today are Tilly, Emma, Michaela and Alicia. Especially yesterday is Fred Rubenstein, who lived experience of gambling harm. So, um, Fred, when your dad passed, did this make you gamble even more? I think it probably brought on the start of gambling early because I lost him really young, you know, and at that point I was still in like, you know, I was 13, 14. I was still in the arcade games and PlayStation games phase. And then I started gambling probably a year, year and a half after that. So I think it, it probably brought it on. And looking back, it was subconsciously a connection to him, I think, and also just a coping mechanism for my trauma and my trying to figure out who I am and just a lot of a lot of different things. And yeah, I think that definitely had a big impact. And I think if he was still there, you know, maybe I would have had more discipline and it, it might not have gotten as bad or, yeah. And I don't think I would have reached out to him. You know, I still think m- my mom was going to be my confidant or, you know, even my godmother. Um, but yeah, it definitely had an effect. And people ask me sometimes, like, if you didn't lose him, do you think you still would have had the same trouble? And I, th- I think I would have because I'm, I have such a strong personality and wa- I'm very wild. So it was, I'm someone who has to learn by doing really. And yeah, I think it took me really going to the extremes to see actually this is really bad and I don't want to do this. Like I don't want to live like this. This is really painful and unhealthy. And yeah, and I needed a lot of help to get to that point. You know, a lot of, support and therapeutic intervention and yeah I I really couldn't have done it without those things so I'm very grateful for having that how did gambling affect your relationship with your family it affected a lot I have an older brother and sister and at that time when I was in the throes of it they moved out of the family home you know and probably a little bit prematurely because of the stress that I was putting on the the family household you know because they could see that something was wrong. You know, I'm sleeping all day. I'm putting on a lot of weight. They're hearing stories that I'm always here. I'm always there. And, you know, I'm not doing anything productive, you know, no job or or education or anything. So it put a lot of stress and anxiety on the family and yeah, massive strain. And especially on my mom, because, you know, I, I ended up not only lying to her about how much I'd lost, but then I ended up stealing from her and, yeah, that put a massive strain. Like we've had such a good relationship and we have an amazing relationship now. But at the time that trust and respect was was gone. You know, it was broken. And that was from everyone in the family. And it takes a lot to get to that point and it also takes a lot to bring it back. So yeah, it was really hard and it took a lot of years to, to fix that and turn that around. But yeah, I'd say my familial relationships are better, much better than even they were before. Because um, I suppose I'm more honest and authentic than I was before I got all that kind of support to turn my life around. And the other thing I wanted to say with that was it's really hard 
to get the level of support that I did. And I'm really lucky because not everyone can afford the resources that I had, you know, very high level, high level psychiatric support, very high level. And not everyone support systems, even if you could afford it, would have the will and the patience to put someone through that after they've stolen from me, you know? So I think that's massive respect to my mum for doing that and very commendable, but not everyone has that. So I'm one of the lucky ones. There are people that are still in it right now. There are people that have been in it for 10 years. They've lost 10 years to gambling. And the time is worse than the money. Trust me, the time is worse. And there are people that have been in jail. And I probably would have headed that way if I didn't get that intervention earlier. So that's one of the main reasons I speak is feeling gifted and, and gratitude for my mom and my, my therapist and those kind of support systems. And also the fact that enlightening people that not everyone has that. How did you justify stealing money from your mom? Oh, that's brutal. That's a good question. I was so, I suppose uh, I, was, uh, in, I was a really entitled kid. I was spoiled. I was a really spoiled kid. And, you know, I kind of feel, ah, it's my money as well. And, yeah, I suppose I thought I was going to win with it and just had delusions of grandeur. But, yeah, I suppose it was just a real sense of entitlement from growing up very privileged. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I felt that I was entitled to it and that I didn't really care. You know, I just wanted to gamble and everything else was secondary to that. So it was very selfish. Um, it was very selfish. And really cowardly because, you know, I would be embarrassed and ashamed if I was caught and exposed. But, yeah, that's just how I was living at that time, completely on impulse and completely consumed and warped by gambler's logic and really mentally ill health. Would you be able to estimate, would you say, the amount of money you took from your mom? Yeah, it was probably between 20 and 25 grand. And I probably could only afford afford to repay like 25 to 50% of it. And it took a long time even mm. to get to that point because, you know, I was working with no qualifications or experience. So even though I loved what I was doing when I started employment and, and still do, um, it took a while to make some decent money. Mm. So I'm still paying off some of that, that now. Um, yeah. So it would have been around 20 to 25 grand and then five to 10 grand, 10 grand, let's say borrowed from friends with the promise that I had it and could pay back and I didn't. Mm. And yeah, and I would have stole more if she didn't catch me earlier. So that's just, I'm lucky that she caught me. It was one of the best things was being exposed guys. Like, like that is like your biggest fear when you're in the midst of it is being exposed, you know, like all this big lie coming, you know, being exposed and, and being caught and everyone seeing you for what you are doing and you know, what you are, becoming but it was actually the day i was caught so to speak was the day i was actually set free because the truth as painful as it can be is very powerful and i think yeah being honest is never a mistake i don't think there's ever a bad reason to be honest so i think that was fundamental in being able to start the recovery journey was being honest about what i'd done in terms of gambling stealing everything and what I had to do to turn it around. Um, like, how did you, like, like, um, how did you and your like mother gain like that like bond 
like that bond like after when you stole money from her mm. and like she told you that she was gonna if she did it again she was gonna call the police and you stopped like um after after that how long did it take you to like become like build trust yeah build trust mm. it's a good question it took a while definitely at least for two to three years of just actions repetition actions repetition and respectable actions you know like and, and her pride in seeing me get my first job in losing you know some of the weight in you know advancing my career and just being more independent you know I, I still depend on her a lot but being more independent and just doing respectable things and it's like this at the start when you're lying you get the benefit of the doubt and then after a while when your actions don't match your words, you get the doubt of benefit. You know, people doubt you. Like, oh, this guy's dodgy. You know, what he says can't be trusted. And then you've got to rebuild that, you know, and it takes a long time. So it took a couple of years, but yeah, our relationship is better than ever because it's built on the truth. It's built on respect and it's not built on lies and deceit. Did you lose any friends while Mm. it was becoming harmful to you? I did. Yeah, I did. Like one of the friends that I, that I borrowed from, it took much longer than I promised to pay him back. And our relationship after that went really downhill. And I'm really glad and grateful that it's, it's re- returned after years. Um, yeah, there was a couple other friends that I chose to get rid of because they weren't good influences on me. Not that they were gamblers, but more that they were just impulsive, kind of ego-driven like I was. Yeah, so I did lose friends and I think that was, to some extent it was a shame, some extent it was necessary because, yeah, who I surrounded myself with was essential in my recovery journey. And I also gained friends. You know, I gained, I have a friend who's like, he's my age and we're just opposites. Like he's just so like stable and sensible and calm. And he was like a real father figure to me. Through You know, he was just so stable and had such a strong sense of values and right and wrong and morals and I really gravitated to that when I was recovering you know and his clear sense of identity and just doing the right thing and being honest I just really respected that and he has been so important you know along with other friends but those kind of role models have been so important you know just being there day in day out just being there not even saying anything or doing anything just being there and yeah that was imperative and and I'd like to give him some some kudos and what was your mental health like at your peak in gambling Uh, very bad very very bad like extremely depressed i'd even say manically depressed which is much in my experience more dangerous than just depression because it's like racing pain and negativity you know after a loss it was like manic depression it was like i'm the worst Uh, you know i I gotta i've gotta hurt myself like i need to feel this pain it was really, really bad. Like I definitely had self-harm thoughts. I'm, I'm glad that I never acted on them. But yeah, it was like the, the, the more I lost control, the worse my self-esteem was, the more, you know, self-harm I considered. And yeah, it was dangerous. It was really, really bad. So yeah, I'm really lucky that I got help because without help, I would, I don't know, I would be in a different problem you know because i didn't know what was going on so yeah it took a lot of time 
and it wasn't linear. It wasn't I just go in there and everything is hunky dory. It was really hard, but yeah, I, I couldn't couldn't have done it without the help and a lot of hard work. What was your counselling journey like? What was your th- first opinion on it? I was just thinking that during that last question, uh, my first opinion, my first train of thinking was let's trick the therapist. You know, let's come here and just say what I have to to appease him and my mom because, you know, I want to keep gambling and, you know, I, I don't need this. I'm smarter than this and I'm too smart and, you know, I'm too, I'm too self-sufficient to need a therapist. So that was my first thinking. And then over time, over like a year or two, I'd say, of coming, not coming, coming late, and started to realize I was completely wrong and that actually the guy was there to help me. He was there to help me. You know, he wasn't the enemy. And, yeah, I just started opening up to myself and then to him. And, yeah, that changed everything because then the more trust you have in them, just like with others, the more you open up and the more you open up, the more you can deal with the problems. You know, because you can't, I couldn't deal with a problem. I wasn't admitting it was a problem. So, yeah, at the start, it was it was slow. And I just baffled even still at his level of, of patience that he would just sit through my shit talking, essentially, until, you know, a year that I was ready to start actually opening up. I just, yeah, I mean, I work with kids now. I don't have that level of patience, so I just commend that massively. And that role model of someone being extremely competent and helpful was massive in my guide of wanting to be something like that. So, yeah, just massive kudos to him as well. And what's the best advice that you got from your counsellor? Best advice? Um, I probably just that I was an addict and I didn't think that I was an addict. And by the time that he told me that, was point blank about that, I'd already had the trust and respect that I could hear that. And even though I didn't agree at first, I could accept it and where it was coming from. Um, but yeah, many, many good advice along the way. One of them was that you had to go cold turkey. Like there is no half in, half out. You know, you can't be half pregnant. So, you know, you're an addict, you got, you got to stop. Um, you don't have control on the amounts that you, you spend. And also that you have to replace it with work. You know, it's one thing to stop. It's all, what do you do next? So, yeah, there was a lot of good advice along the way. Another was um, that it's a fantasy, the the dream of being like some sort of heroic gamble and having one big win that payoffs. It's a delusion that doesn't exist. You know, it's a dream. So just a lot of good things like that along the way. But I suppose one of his best attributes is being able to give me the right advice in the right moment so that I can apply that. So, yeah, just phenomenal, phenomenal person. Was there any point in time where you were on your journey to recovering from it or where you wanted to do it again? Did you have the urges Mm. to go back to the casino? I have. I've had probably – the first year was hard because it was like I was still kind of coming out of it and getting a job and and, and then still struggling with with mental health. Um, I suppose the biggest trigger I had was during COVID, um, which is only like three years ago now. And just being home all the time and it was really, you know, really against my nature of being kind of wild, free-spirited, very outdoorsy kind of person. And the footy being on all the time and, you know, people putting like bets in the group chat. And, you know, I think one of the things that led me to gambling and kept me in gambling was boredom. And at that time I was bored. And 
that triggered me a lot, actually. And I spoke to him about that. And we were already so far in along the therapeutic journey that, you know, all he had to do was we did a little exercise. Is he's like, okay, pick up this pen. And he goes, write this on your arm. And he, I don't know, he goes, D, E, B, T. And he's like, is that what you want? Do you want that? Like, you don't want that. He's like, don't do it. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So that was it. And then I left there. I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I've got to stop dabbling in this. Like, stop listening. i got to, you know, be more hard on my boundaries. Like, no, I can't. I can't talk about that or this. I'm not interested in that. And and that was it. You know, one or two other triggers on the way. But, yeah, it's more of a surprise when they come up. And you can just kind of watch the highs and lows pass without having to run away with them. I suppose that's one of the main things that I learned in therapy. Was there, like, a specific person or moment that happened that made you realise it was becoming harmful? Um, yeah, it's, uh, my my therapist was consistent support in that and reminder of what I could be and who I really wanted to be. Um, yeah, the moment of stealing from my mom where she threatened for the third time and she threatened to call the police and, and press charges against me, that was definitely my rock bottom because I knew in that moment if I kept gambling that something bad was going to happen. You know, I couldn't any longer run away from my pain of gambling by gambling more. I couldn't do it because if I kept doing it, I was going to go to jail. And that's quite cowardly that that's what it took. You know, it took my own self-preservation kicking in to actually change. But yeah, that was definitely the catalyst for me investing in my recovery journey. And it wasn't the last day I gambled, but it was the first day they decided to try and be someone else, to do something else, you know, to be less selfish and impulsive. And yeah, so that was a specific moment. And I'd say the, the, the specific people were my mom, my godmother, the friends and the friend that I spoke about before and my therapist. So, but you know, everyone, everyone needs a, a support system and I'm very lucky and grateful to have an excellent one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all we have for today. Thank you. Thank you to our guest, Fred Rubenstein. Um, it's been a great pleasure talking with you today. Live from Our Lady of Mercy College, Hardwick. In Melbourne, Australia, you have been listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. My name is Emily and my co-hosts today were Tilly, Emma, Michaela and Alicia. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you have found the information today useful. Until next time, have a great day. Educating our community about the impacts of gambling harm live from Our Lady of Mercy College, Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live Yes, Start the party. Celebrate. I'm sick of nonsense. I want to elevate from that familiar feeling.